Welcome, everyone, to the A Better Way to A podcast. We are your hosts, Jordan and Andrew. And tonight, on our late night recording session, we have Tom from LA Progressive Shooters. Thank you, Tom, for coming on. We really appreciate you being here, man. Thanks for having me on. It's a privilege to be here. We're super pumped to have you on and have some really neat things to talk about that I think you have particular insight into. To start, could you explain to people who might not know who you are what it is you do in your particular cosm of the universe? Yeah, so I formed LA Progressive Shooters in the middle of the uh, gun panic buying year 2020. I just wanted to have an inclusive, more welcoming and non-intimidating space for people to learn about firearms who would otherwise feel unwelcome in very unfriendly gun world. And uh, since then, I've become certified as instructor, and I've been teaching, wow, this is my third year, I can't believe it, time flies. But yeah, we're out here educating folks in Los Angeles area, Southern California. We just want folks to be safe and responsible and provide a safe space to learn about firearms. That's awesome, man. That's crazy that it's only been three years. I feel like your name has been floating around as long as I've been like aware of like non-conservative gun pages. I wonder if we just all got on Instagram at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was like just right. All those circumstances of 2020 just put everybody on that map together. 2020 was a wacky year for gun ownership in the U.S. And as somebody who spent 10 years prior to that as a gun owner, looking at it through the lens of my own particular experience, it was refreshing to see this wave of diversity come into the gun community that I wasn't even aware was like looking to to poke its head through. How do you see with that, this like blossoming growth of, of new gun owners who typically don't fit the mold of like straight white older Joes of the gun community? How do you see yourself fitting into that and why do you think it's so important for somebody like you to exist? Well, I, I think like we kind of came into this conversation talking about the gun world, just like the rest of our country right now, seems to be so polarized and um, so divided between two very extreme viewpoints, you know, very easy to demonize one and the other. And there doesn't seem to, to in the conversation or the dialogue for any kind of middle ground, any kind of nuance and any kind of diversity in, in views, right? Either you're, you're belong to one camp or the other. It's either or. And I just don't think that that's realistic. I don't think that's healthy. I don't think that's a real reflection of what people are looking for. And so the part that I play in all this is I am trying to provide a space where you can be pro 2A and you can be liberal and progressive. And that is not an oxymoron. And yeah, and just, I guess, I feel like all of us who are on this kind of border between these two camps we're constantly fighting both sides, right? We're constantly being judged by both sides. Like, I get hate from liberals and progressives who are anti-gun and I think are misinformed, right? And I get hate from the gun world that doesn't want to see people like me in the gun world. And so I think it's this constant struggle of just being accepted for who I am unapologetically, right? I'm not here to pander to any one view or the other. And 
hopefully people that come to my classes, come to our community, that they can be themselves too. Because I think too often people go into the gun world, gun spaces, and they got to pretend to be someone they're not just to get the information or the training that they want, right? That they have to bite Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's historically, it's been that case for a ton of people. And it is, it's the same reason we started because after the Pulse nightclub shooting, we had people reach out to us for, for the same reason. They wanted to learn how to shoot a gun, but didn't feel comfortable going to an NRA class. So I think it's great that you got started for the same reasons, really, but you're hitting this situation head on and, and really being the face that these people see and showing that the proof is in the pudding. Like this is, you are the gun community. You're a representative of the gun community and, and you are accepting and you are providing a safe place for people to learn. Yeah, and, and really the name LA Progressive Shooters kind of places you in, in that sort of crossfire, doesn't it? Because, you know, you, you touched on this where, where it's like conservatives kind of own pro-gun culture and progressives, specifically progressives, kind of own that like burning desire for gun control. And so you've really kind of like made yourself a lightning rod in that in that sense for criticism from both sides. But I am curious, where have you seen more friction? You know, is it from like self-proclaimed progressives or, or people who are just like not conservative? Or, or do you definitely see more pushback from uh, more conservative kind of archetypal gun owners? In my personal experience, I've seen it from both sides. And it kind of evolved for me too. When I first got on the scene and I was this new instructor, I was actually getting a lot of online bullying, basically slandering from the 2A community, the Asian 2A community, who are totally conservative gun owners. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen some of this. Yeah, I was being roasted by them because they didn't like who I was when I stood. They basically didn't like that I didn't get in line with the rest of the Asian community in the 2A world. Right? Like, who does this new guy think he is? trying to teach people how to shoot. And, you know, he's not towing the line that the rest of the two-way Asian gun community is towing, right? That I'm not a conservative, that, that I refuse to be homophobic. I refuse to be misogynist, right? I refuse to be transphobic in this space. I refuse to be anti-Black, right? Which you often find the two-way Asian community to be, right? So already I was a target by those folks. And then I was also a target by, uh, I was also getting the same kind of slander from quote-unquote, liberal gun club, liberal gun owners folks who didn't like me either, right? So that was kind of interesting, <laughs> right? And then also, yeah, I have no problem getting into debates. Every time there's a mass shooting, it's very predictable, the response from my liberal and progressive community, ban ARs, ban guns, and I have no problem getting into these debates to try and educate and inform them better and push back against that narrative. So for me, it's just a constant, I guess it's a constant Effort, when I'm not teaching, it's a constant effort trying to, for better or worse, you know, talk to people who don't want to listen. Well, and I've heard you speak. I listened to your interview on CNN, and I'm not tooting your horn or anything here, but I really think you are the, you're the perfect example of what I think the gun community needs more of. And it's nobody's fault but our own. The gun community at large is used to being attacked by the anti-gun left and as a defense mechanism to that, we've kind of allowed ourselves to become calloused to them and their and their their fears and take the first shot at them when they mispronounce something or use the improper lingo 
to just write them off as being idiotic and, and not seek to educate them further in a way that could actually help us. And I really commend you for taking the, the time and effort to talk to people like that because I think it's really important to do that kind of legwork. We try to do it ourselves, although it, it is like, it's, it's hard not, not very good yeah, at it. We're getting better. Honestly, it's just, it's, it's about knowing your principles, sticking to your principles and, and, and finding consistency in them, being consistent. When something makes you feel uncomfortable, recognize that, but it doesn't mean that you have to be right and to change the facts to suit your, your beliefs there. And I think there are more people like you out there, but unfortunately they don't get the publicity that the loud, outspoken people tend to get that we're so used to seeing representing the NRA or representing, you know, the, the historical gun community. So I think it's, I think it's really cool that you're going against that and you're changing the mold there. I'm by no means perfect or always diplomatic. I mean, I lose my patience. Nobody is, man. Right, right. I mean, I I do the best that I can, right? We're all doing the best that we can. But yeah, the more platforms we have, the more opportunities to speak. It's always good to engage folks. That's why your platform's important. And we just got to keep trying, right? The point is not to stop trying, right? If if we're passionate about it, if, if we know that what we stand, what we're standing about and who we're trying to help, right? I know you do and I do. When it comes down to our principles and, and 2A, we advocate for the most vulnerable and marginalized folks. That when we think, how is gun control going to affect who? We always think about the most marginalized and vulnerable folks first. And that's what we have in common. And so when I'm getting to these, these conversations, that's in my mind, that's who I'm talking, like who I'm trying to advocate for and who I'm thinking about when I have these conversations. Because like you and I, we have, we have a lot of privileges already, right? As cis straight men in the gun world. So if we have an easier time being able to grab that microphone on behalf of other folks, you know, we'll try and do it in the most responsible way. Absolutely, man. Yeah, hell yeah. No, I I definitely believe that. And uh, something that we've touched on before is that it's like, you have privilege, privilege is nothing to be ashamed of, but it is a good idea and a good pursuit. Not that it makes you like a hero or a martyr or anything to use that privilege to advocate for people who don't. Yeah, and it just helps, you know, like when you... When you're having a conversation with somebody who you disagree with on something, it helps to be relatable to the person. And what I've found is because of the way that I appear and present myself, I am able to have, at least in the beginning moments of the conversation, have an easier conversation with somebody who might consider themselves to be socially conservative, pro-gun. You know, I'm not if somebody's racist, it's not going to affect me. If somebody's homophobic, it's not going to affect me. They don't start the conversation with these preconceived notions about me that are going to hinder their ability to comprehend like an idea. So I think using that kind of privilege, you know, and in, in, like you yourself said, like speaking to the Asian gun owning community, I'd be curious to see, I'd be curious if you had any kind of experience where you changed somebody's mind or maybe got them to consider a different point of view because of that, because I've definitely been able to get through to some people on both sides of the aisle regarding places where we disagree socially in regards to guns or regards to other, you know, human rights. Whether I'm able to change someone's mind who's, you know, comes starts out diametrically opposed to, to my viewpoint, I literally don't have the time to even be invested in that. I'm more invested in, hey, the folks that are looking for a more reasonable, tolerant, person, space where I can take my farms education. The people are looking for a safe haven. That's my top concern, right? That's why I exist. My primary concern is not to get into a joust or a duel 
or <laughs> online. There's just too many trolls. I don't have time for it. I respect okay? that, man. Yeah. And, you know, I get folks trying, I mean, they will come on my Instagram page sometimes. I'll post something and I get whole paragraphs in these comments. And I don't even have time to read all that. Right. So sometimes just for my own sanity, like, you know, and my mental health too. I don't have, you know, I have a life too. I don't, I can't, after teaching all day, I don't have time to go through comments and get into verbal joust with every rando that wants to debate me, right? Sometimes I just got to cut them off and just block them. Like block them. I, I yeah. Don't have time, so I don't blame you. Right. I don't blame <laughs> you at all. I definitely respect that. And that is, uh, yeah, you've got to reserve some of yourself for yourself and reserve some of yourself for the people that actually want your attention. Absolutely. I feel like sometimes I have a little too much energy for engaging with those types of people. Yes, Andrew. And you know, I'm yes. not always... Andrew's constantly making friends. <laughs> I'm not... Yeah, yeah. I don't always do it with the aim to like change someone's mind. Sometimes it just makes me feel better to... I don't know. I mean, I don't want to be... I don't want to think of myself as like a cyber bully or something. Like <laughs> but know, some yeah, people are beyond saving and it makes, if it makes you feel better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. Like Andrew's saying, right? It's not about trying to change someone's mind on the spot, but it's like not being silent is important, right? Like, like you know, when you witness an injustice or you see someone doing wrong, it's like sure. if, if you don't if you don't speak up or stand up, you feel complicit, right? You feel complicit yeah. in some way. So I feel like yeah. in in these social spaces, whether it's online in person, I think just taking a stand and making and saying that you know what your viewpoint is not the only thing here, and to just voice who you are and what you stand in is important, right there. It's not about having necessarily changing someone's mind, but just letting that person know that, no, not everybody agrees with you because I don't, right? And I think a lot more people who, are, who don't have maybe the courage or opportunity to speak up, but who are listening, see that, right? It's important for them to see that there are other viewpoints that exist and not just the, the loud, cantankerous one, right? That's, that's off-putting. Yeah, for sure, man. That definitely puts a noble face on my neurotic drive uh, to make fun <laughs> of, of uh, conservative trolls. You're welcome, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, I, that makes me feel a lot better. That's awesome. Uh, it's not going to make my wife feel better about it, but it makes me feel better. <laughs> Tom, I wanted to read a paragraph to you real quick and see if I could get your, your take on it. So the National Shooting Sports Foundation did a survey of firearm retailers, and they showed that African-Americans purchased firearms in 2020 at a rate of 58% higher than 2019. Hispanic Americans at the same time were purchasing firearms at a 49% higher rate and Asian Americans at a 43% higher rate. Now, 2020 obviously was three years ago, but you said it yourself. We, we were talking about it earlier. It was a crazy year. What do you think drove that increase in gun ownership amongst those populations that we didn't have in the years prior? Well, it was a perfect storm of circumstances, right? We had the pandemic. We had the shutdown. I mean, the whole world thought it was a zombie apocalypse. Uh, nationally, it was it's a political election year, right? Very divisive one. And we had white nationalists and extremists openly, brazenly, and boldly just marching around, just espousing some of the worst hate that, you know, I came as a refugee, in 75. So, yeah, I've been here for a long time. Thanks. How old are you? As a refugee. I am uh, 53. No, Damn. fuck off. Hey. Okay, Good, so for I, I Good for you. Good for you, man. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing, but keep doing it. You know, people like to say black don't crack. Well, for, <laughs> for Asians, it's Asians don't raisin. 
Okay. Oh that's, my God. That's, that's the other thing. <laughs> <laughs> right? Jesus Christ. So I can't take credit. Thanks to my mom. Asian, good genes. Asian DNA. Yeah, good genes. Bless up. But folks, the point is, in, in my life as a refugee and an immigrant in this country, 2020, I had never witnessed us as a country taking such big steps backward as far as race relations and how like openly racist rhetoric could be seen as normal and being normalized in public discourse. So when, when you're talking about the perfect storm of those two things and how you can't, people are realizing, you know what? The government can't guarantee my safety. And, you know, there are these racist, armed racists running around. And, you know, I don't want to think about it. I, I still hate guns. I don't like them. But, you know, if uh, all goes to hell, I don't want to be the only person on my block without a gun. How am I going to defend my kids and my, my, my wife and my family? That's a sentiment I got from a lot of folks who came my way in 2020, right? They didn't like guns. Even to that day, that was the first time they ever considered even holding a gun in their life. But they just felt compelled to like, you know what? I think this is like that scenario where I'd rather have one and never touch it rather than need one, not have one, right? That was a very common sentiment. Right. And so what you're seeing is a sort of, is somebody coming into gun ownership, not from a culture steeped in like gun culture, but from a sense of like practicality and like immediate need, which shows that there is a logical path to say like, I need to protect myself. I need access to the best tools possible to that end. And that's guns, right? Yes. And so we're, we're seeing gun ownership expand, it seems like, not from a place of like complete, like pure ideology, but from a really like personal, practical need. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, most of my folks who find me is because they're anti, formerly anti-gun and they still don't really particularly care about guns, right? But it's like you said, they just feel like at the end of the day, Self-defense is a human right, and people are starting to realize that their self-defense and their personal safety ultimately is their own responsibility. It's not a Hollywood movie. The Calvary isn't going to come in in the nick of time and save you. It's you. It's just you, and, and what do you have on hand to guarantee your personal safety, right? Yeah, absolutely. That was exactly the sentiment that that my friend shared when they came to me asking me to teach them how to shoot, and we would... I'd laugh because we would, as I was showing them how to clear malfunction out of the handgun that was gifted to them, they would continue to tell me why no one needs an AR-15 and why, you know, the police should be the only ones to have those kinds of guns. And I would just laugh because it was the perfect example of how we could disagree fundamentally on certain things yet still come together for a common purpose. And I think that was, that's what people need to pay t more attention to because we're, like you said, it, it was a crazy divisive year in 2020 and it really hasn't gotten better. If anything, I feel like it's only gotten worse and it's become more normalized. And I think if more people did that, and I think firearms are something that people can, can practice that with, we'd be in a much better place. I mean, the utility in owning a firearm is universal, regardless of whether you are a 20 time a year competitive shooter or more probably I'm, I'm probably way underselling that to competitive shooters out there or somebody who literally just bought a gun because they were scared and wanted one just in case the utilitarian aspect of, of firearm ownership is the same and I think if we were to, to focus on that kind of stuff more often then you know we wouldn't have the same kind of issues in the gun community that we currently face yeah I totally agree and you know what 
what really makes my day, and I'm really blessed to be doing what I'm doing now, is when I get the most scared, timid folks coming, right? I've actually had people come in tears. They're that traumatized around guns. And in the span of three, four hour lesson, right? I really, I don't glamorize what guns are. I don't even like to use human silhouette targets for a person first time shooting. There's really no point. I'm teaching you how to operate this mechanical device. Let me demystify it for you. I have them take apart a gun. Yeah, I I have them take apart a gun, put it back together, understand its parts, and see it merely on its mechanical level, right? And you'd be surprised. I just get a big smile on my face when I see it. But at the end of the lesson, these folks are coming trembling and apprehensive. Actually, total about face. They understand. They shoot it. They realize, wow, this is actually more fun than I thought it was going to be. And then they went from being scared of this object to now seeing how fun it is. And now they see the recreational value and keep on doing it. That their primary mission was to come in and get one for the peace of mind and and home defense. And they left thinking, this is actually pretty fun. I'm going to keep on doing this for fun. And I feel like when that happens, my my mission accomplished. Yeah, absolutely. That's something that I feel like is, is so underrepresented in like the argument to own guns because it doesn't have like a gotcha factor to it. But shooting is fun. Shooting is super fun. And something that I think we, if I know I'm not going to win an argument with somebody, that's usually what I'll default to. Like if there's no convincing somebody, like the fundamental reasons why I should own a gun, I just say because it's, it's fun and I'm allowed to. I like it. Because like, I want to. And that's usually where I leave it. But yeah, it is, it is super fun. And watching people shoot for the first time and realize that, getting that initial rush of adrenaline is, is definitely gratifying. I do want to back up a second here. So you're saying something about uh, people coming to you in tears because they're so they're so afraid of guns. And that's not like, I don't mean to disrespect you, anyone when I say this, but that's not like a normal, well-adjusted response to guns. That's something that has been taught to them. Well, I you think know, it's a trauma uh, response. It could be, yeah, you know, you're right. You're right. It could be, it could be a trauma response too. But at some point in their life, something was done to them or said to them or perceived or by them. It was, or yeah, and it was, it was sort of ingrained in them that there's something inherently bad or immoral about guns. And I really feel like for a lot of mainstream progressives, like that is the goal to get people to that point where they feel at their core, like there is something inherently almost spiritually wrong about guns. And so I just wonder, um, do you feel like you earlier, even earlier than that, you said that being progressive and being a gun owner is not a contradiction. I wonder how you square that to people that really subscribe to the the sort of like mainstream ways of thinking about guns from the sort of like progressive camp. Like, how do you explain to a progressive who's like, you know, a mainstream diet in the wall progressive? How do you explain to them that they don't have to be anti-gun? Yeah. The perfect example that I bring up is that Dr. Martin Luther King was a gun owner and that he applied for a CCW and was denied. He wanted the ability to carry a gun in public because himself and his family because he was being targeted by a white extremist and he was denied. I bring up the fact that every gun control law since before this country was a country, even in the colonies, were passed to deprive black people of the right to defend themselves, right? So I remind progressives and liberals that they've forgotten the history that every oppressed minority has had to resort to armed self-defense against their oppressor, right? I've had to remind them that the civil rights movement itself has been so whitewashed because they were only as peaceful as they were because there were armed Southern Black families 
willing to stand up and provide armed security for the protest marches. Okay, people can look this history up if they want to, but it's not taught in our schools. You know, it's whitewashed from the narrative that, oh my gosh, it was totally peaceful, nonviolent. No, it's because there were armed Southern Black families that, you know, if their sheriffs in, in the South were in collusion with the Klan and the federal government was sitting on their ass not protecting these families, what are they going to do? They, they had to take up arms to defend themselves against the night raids. And the Klan stayed away because they knew there were an armed contingent of the South and protecting the protesters. And wh- why have we forgotten that? Why have liberals and progressives have forgotten that armed self-defense went hand in hand with political nonviolence in the civil rights movement. So that's, that's, I always bring this up to people that want to, that want to argue about the use of guns in our society, right? How can you argue with that example? It's, it's in this very country's history, less than a century ago. And not even that long ago. I mean, the protests yeah. after George Floyd was murdered, there is a clear example of the level of police response to protests when there were unarmed protesters versus armed protesters. The kind of brutality we saw from police, the kind of quote-unquote curfew enforcement that we saw from police when they were enforcing those curfews against unarmed protesters versus ones who, who had an armed contingent was drastic. And that is a perfect example of exactly, because I think a lot of the reason this stuff gets whitewashed is because people who are in charge of these kind of things, writing down the history books and and making sure that our newer generations learn these things, don't prioritize that stuff. And the people who were there die off. And then there's no one to continue that lesson, that education in, in why firearms are so important to a free society. And I really think that these, these most recent demonstrations are a clear example of why that is and, and a definitely share similarities with, with the civil rights protests that we experienced so long ago. Not even that long ago, but... You know what I mean? Absolutely. Did that answer your question, Andrew? That's, yeah, that's absolutely. One, yeah, that's one way to get the conversation started. And the other, the other thing is I love to cite statistics. I'm a data nerd. You know, I used to be a computer uh, engineer in a previous life. So I love to bring up statistics because, you know, when we talk about folks that are for gun control and they come to my class and we debate it and they talk about mass shootings, and I'll just ask them, well, what percentage of gun deaths a year are due to mass shootings? And they'll give me things like 40, 50%. I said, really? Right. And I said, well, it's really like 0.1 and 0.2%, but that's the only thing that gets sensationalized and reported on the media. Let's all agree. All gun deaths are bad. Like they're horrible. They don't need to happen. Right. But let's just put it in perspective. So the statistics helps kind of open their eyes too. that, you know, just what the, if you listen to what the media politician report is that the full picture, be more critical, right? Mass shootings are horrible, but if there's 0.1 to 0.2% and suicides are always overwhelmingly, 50% or more, if we want to save the most lives, why aren't we also talking about better mental health resources and access for folks in crisis before they reach for guns? That's a very simple question for people that I talk to. Why doesn't media and, and, and politicians ever talk about that? Because it's more simple to just focus on these objects of a horrible event and think that but just by banning this object that miraculously all the problems would be solved. Let's address the real root issues of gun violence across the whole spectrum and not just a percentage. Yeah. And, and I definitely think part of that is because, and, I, and I'm sure we've said this before, what you're talking about is like a deep systemic change versus like an easy sort of like feel good, like switch that they can flip. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And I think it's very energizing for them to be like, we are so close to solving 
30,000 deaths a year, 40,000 deaths a year, whatever it's at now, which is horrifying. We're so close to solving it. All we have to do is ban the guns. We just have to flip that switch and it's done, guys. And whether they really believe that or not, it's a really energizing talking point because it's so it's such drudgery to get into the like the real like meat of like societal change and supporting each other and like dealing with like mental health crises and like not calling the cops on people who want to kill themselves and just like all these things that are the very deep problems with with very complex solutions that like a politician can't solve that like you and I have to work to solve for years fruitlessly sometimes that's boring people hate that and i think that i think it's just become maybe for progressives it's become so easy to galvanize their base with with these very seemingly simple solutions absolutely absolutely and as cis straight men we have to acknowledge right i acknowledge this in my classes that gender gender plays a real issue in gun violence the majority of suicides by firearm are committed by overwhelmingly boys and men I don't know if you knew that. Okay. Also, the majority of crimes committed with guns. And the majority of crimes committed by guns are by men and boys against predominantly other men and boys, right? So I always pose this question to my to my clients, um, both men and women together. And I say, well, women and girls have the same access to guns as men and boys if they wanted to. Why is it predominantly boys and men? And so what is it where what is the messaging that we're giving our boys in our societies, right? Especially in in marginalized, low-income communities where there are not a lot of opportunities for youth, right? What are the messaging that we're giving boys who later become men that this is the way to solve your, your conflicts by reaching for a gun, right? Predominantly girls and women don't do that. So getting to the, one of the root issues is, is absolutely gender-related, right? Which I like to bring up too. Yeah, 100%. We've definitely talked about toxic masculinity and the problems that brings along before on this show. And it's... As a as a guy with two sons, it's a it's a very deeply personal and important topic for me. Andrew, I hope you don't mind, but I quote you all the time. I, I apologize. He said something once to me that has stuck with me for I think years at this point. You said it probably when we first met. It was when the protests were going on. And I mentioned to him how I felt guilty that I wasn't able to participate more. And he said something along the lines of that the, one of the most revolutionary acts that you can do as the father to a son is to raise him to be caring and loving and something along the lines of that, gentle, gentle something like that. And yeah. it, it stuck with me because so much of this is a result of, like we said, this this toxic masculinity that drives young men to feel like they need to solve conflicts or, or, or perceived conflicts with deadly force. And if we ever really wanted to, I think looking at this earnestly, you know, if we ever really wanted to solve the root causes of gun violence, we would, we'd have to talk about that. And that's one thing that I don't see any of these anti-gun groups talking about. And it's, it's also pushed by the typical conservative male-dominated gun culture. Yeah, like absolutely. Your gun is like an extension of your penis, right? And it's like, you know, let's talk about healthier examples of, of masculinity where you don't have to like, front and be the most aggressive and have all these guns and you know the gun you know just is your part so much part of your self-image and your male ego right so so much is wrapped in the male persona with guns in this world right and it's like yeah it obviously it leads to that and if you have boys and men who somehow 
want to get retribution, they feel insecure, their masculine is at stake. What are they going to do, right? They got, I got to prove my manhood. I'm going to grab a gun. Because isn't that what is, what is boosted up as like the, the uh, prime example of, of malehood, right? Of strong male in this country, a man with a gun, right? So yeah, we have a lot of issues with that. No, it's true. I feel that very deeply. And I've been on a weird journey with guns myself and and sort of like the, the way I present myself in public. And I'll say that for me, and this this may be sort of like hand in hand with my political journey too, but owning and carrying guns has definitely made me a much more agreeable and gentler person in public. But, you know, that's me in the way that I've approached it. And it's definitely true. And, and you can see this. You just go online and, and read people's like stories and experiences or just like observe in public. Not everybody's like that. There's still people out there that are seeking confrontation. There's definitely people that get into gun ownership against all of all of our best and, and most well-meaning advice. They'll get into gun ownership and be like, I can't wait to to get to use this to solve a problem. And it's my genuine hope that people like you can intercept <laughs> intercept these guys and kind of educate them a little better before it comes to that. And I, and I think a lot of them do. I think a lot of, I think a lot of these guys do soften eventually, but you know, you definitely see that sort of contingent of, uh, of traditionally toxically masculine gun owners spreading this sort of misconceptions. Listen guys, you know, when I field calls from clients, I, I potential prospective clients, I will get the, you know, usually the man calling and hyper excited and says, hey, you know, I just watched the latest John Wick movie. Can you teach me how to run a gun and do all this and that? <laughs> and, you know, my response, my response is, you know what? I'm, I'm just a boring instructor. I teach safety. I teach fundamentals. You probably want to look for another instructor. You'll be happier with another instructor. Yeah, you want to go to Terran Tactical? Uh, <laughs> write this down. <laughs> like, I literally don't have time to kind of deal with that kind of male energy. If they're already that so hyper about guns. They can find another instructor. People that that want to fetishize guns, right? The whole industry is there for them, serve them. I'm not here for everyone. I'm here for a very select group who are uncomfortable around guns, who want to be humble around guns, right? Who, like you, Andrew, carrying a gun is seen as a responsibility that you hope to never use versus the one who thinks they're going to fulfill their Hollywood fantasy of being the hero in their own action movie, right? So definitely there's that. I do my best to educate folks that real life is not a movie. I started teaching concealed carry weapon training this year. I've been carrying for two years now. It was, it was practically impossible in LA County to do so until about until 2020. And uh, after carrying for two years, like you, Andrew, I have never been more humble in my life. I was already non-confrontational, now even more so. It's so weird to get like yelled at while carrying a gun. Yes, absolutely. And to like feel that you're, you're like, you're like offended and you're like, Hey, he can't talk to me like that. And then I'm like, well, like if I make him more mad, I'm like one one of us is not going to make it. And I would rather just not do that. I would agree with you. Yeah. Here's what I tell people all that. And I said, listen, listen, no matter how justified you are in using your gun for self-defense, it's going to be a life-changing event for you. Okay. Morally, emotionally, financially, legally, like your ordeal has just begun. Okay. So if I can avoid it, I'll avoid it. Okay. I'll be the bigger person and leave. And, you know, we're all human, right? I didn't say it was going to feel good to turn the other cheek. I didn't say it was going to feel good on an emotional level, but you got to be the bigger person because you have a bigger responsibility carrying that gun with you. 
Absolutely. Hey there, everybody. We hope you're enjoying the episode. If you do like what we're about and want to support us, our Patreon is a fantastic way to do so. It allows us to improve the podcast in many ways and helps fund our alcoholic coffee beverage stash to assist on those late night recording sessions. Now you may be thinking, this podcast has me absolutely smitten and I would love nothing more than to throw money at you, but what's in it for me? Well, I'm glad you asked. When you become a patron, you automatically get access to an exclusive collection of clips from the podcast not heard anywhere else. On top of that, we have a wide range of tiers available that will get you merch, discount codes, and even free gear delivered to you monthly. For any patrons currently listening to this, we are super thankful for your support and for keeping the dream alive that one day I will be able to meet Andrew and make sweet, sweet podcast magic with him in person. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash abetterway2a in the episode notes for the podcast or on the link in our Instagram bio. All right, now that's all for that. Back to the show. I had an experience that really showed this to me once and I've had it probably more than once, but this one really stuck out to me because it was recent. Before I say this, I, f- I feel like there's going to be a lot of people who listen to it and feel similarly. And if that's the case, then something good happened to you. Because best case scenario, when you become a gun owner, you start to look at the world a little differently, especially if you carry. And you look at these possibly intense situations that could escalate and don't look at ways to feel better about yourself by escalating further and being the person who's right, but look for ways to de-escalate or leave the situation. I got off the highway. It was last year or, yeah, it was last year. And this car out of nowhere cuts me off and then starts immediately brake checking me. And I'm on my way to work, but I have my gun on me. And we go down this long stretch of road where I have to go straight. I can't go make a turn or anything because I have to go across this long bridge there's only one way in and one way out of this area. And this guy is doing this brake check where it's this like double brake check where he's planning on me letting up the brakes from his first brake check and me hitting him the second time he brakes to catch me by surprise. If anyone's ever had this happen to them, you know what I'm talking about. And this went on for probably three to four miles, just driving like below the speed limit, intentionally being provocative to me. And I'm fuming. Like I know what this guy's trying to do. And I'm getting pissed and we get to this point at the end of this long road where it's only a two lane street and it's a stop sign and he stops at the stop sign and just does not go and waits for me there, waits for me, like looking at me in the rear view mirror and I pulled up to go around him and I stopped because it was a stop sign still, it was a four way stop and I remember looking at him and this dude was like livid, like laughing, but you could tell laughing in like a, I got you kind of way and I had this thought Like, I have a gun on me, and this guy has no idea that, like, this could have been the mistake. Had he done this to somebody who was less stable, had a worse day, you know, you look at the movie Falling Down, that dude who does all the crazy stuff because he got fired, his wife divorced him, stuff like that. This is why if you become a gun owner and do not immediately feel humbled, you're going to get in trouble because there are people like that who are just looking to fuck with you on a daily basis, who have whatever going on in their lives, who have less to lose than you do, who are going to push those buttons. And if you don't get into a situation like that and your first priority is to leave, then you need to reassess the situation and and reassess your priorities. Because this guy, I've been in situations where I've realized that 
the way I was driving could have been misinterpreted as being overly aggressive or something and gone out of my way to apologize to the person. I was riding my motorcycle once and I got cut off by this guy on the highway who pushed me into the shoulder. I got sandwiched between him and the center, the concrete median. I had to slam, I had locked my rear tire, slammed on my brakes. I was pissed. We got off the same exit and I rolled up next to him because at the time I was pissed. I was throwing my arms in the air. I rolled up next to him and I was making the motion to roll down the window. And I know he thought I was doing that because he thought I was going to yell at him. But when he rolled down the window, I apologized. But he actually apologized first. He said, man, I'm really sorry for cutting you off. And I said, dude, I'm so sorry for freaking out the way that I did. And it was this mutual, like, holy shit, we're both cool dudes thing. And <laughs> because you realize, like, dude, you're carrying a gun. You can't get into a fight with somebody. Why are you going to escalate? And people make mistakes. He clearly didn't see me. Well, let's go back to your first story, too. So you're talking about, like, this guy had no idea you had a gun. But, like, also think about, like, you don't know if he was packing, Correct. Too, and you don't know if what he was going to do. Like, if you got out the door to yell at him, like, you don't know what's going to happen. Absolutely. Yeah, don't put yourself in those silly and positions. So, Everybody just be chill. That's what I'm saying. That's right. it. And just the way Jordan just explained how he reacted. I mean, wouldn't it be a better world if we all just had a little bit more grace for each other and gave each other the benefit of the doubt instead of all That's that huge. Assuming the worst about each other. I mean, we have misunderstandings, common innocent misunderstandings all the time. We misinterpret each other's motives all the time over just the most, right, mundane things. And if people just had grace. Goofy shit. That, yeah. Absolutely. Right? Hanlon's razor is one of my favorite things. Never attribute to malice what could be attributed to ignorance. Sometimes people just fuck up and they don't realize they fucked up. That's it. Yeah. They didn't mean it intentionally. Some guy, some guy cut you off. You don't know if he's on his way to the hospital to visit his dying mother who's got minutes. Absolutely. You know, I mean, you have yeah. no idea what people are going through. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, dude. Look at us agreeing. I know. This is, we should get somebody on who, well, Fucking anybody who would disagree with us probably won't come on this podcast. Yeah, right. We've been trying to get somebody from like an anti-gun group to come on, but they don't even return my emails. So I don't know. I don't know how to get through to people. I've actually, you know, if I ever get to the point where I've got more time, I, I need to spend more time going up to these lobby days and going as like a friendly face and trying to connect with these people. Because there's nothing better that I like to do than wasting my time on a Saturday arguing <laughs> with people who don't want to talk to me. But... <laughs> I do think that stuff is important, actually. Yeah. Do you ever do political stuff, Tom, or is it just the, uh, are you just like in the trenches doing instruction the whole time? Yeah, I'm in the trenches teaching. I'm a small business owner. This is my full-time livelihood. So I have very little free time. In fact, today I just got done teaching three days in a row in, in like 100 degree weather. And today is like the first day off I've had. And it's not even a day off. I spent the whole day like catching up on emails. I even forgot my... I had an appointment to get my blood lead level checked because I talk a lot about lead toxicity in the gun world. And I share that too. But yeah, I wish I had more time to, for the political advocacy side. But that's why I'm glad there are other folks who have more time to do that and probably more eloquent than I am. Like, like I remember last time some anti-gun for Oh, remember, Jordan, I sent you a message recently because in the wake of a recent mass shooting, there was an avid gun owner and she went online. She goes, you know what? I care so much as a gunner, I will give away, I will get rid of all my guns. So I'm not part of the problem. And so I thought to myself, how would I respond to that? And I didn't have a good answer. So I messaged you, Jordan. Remember, you had a great response for it to, to help me kind of frame mentally how I would respond to that and why that's misguided. And so I, I'm glad there are folks that do think about the debates going on, do keep track of the, you know, the latest laws and issues and, and kind of know how to respond to that. Because I'm literally like, like you said, 
I'm like deep in the trenches, just trying to get people to be safe and responsible first, right? And then time time permitting, hey, let me tell you about these gun laws you should probably worry about. <laughs> Not that you like guns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is why it's so cool to have the community that we do, though. I mean, and, and this is the thing, you know, it's it takes a village to raise a child. And it's one thing that I've I've had to come to terms with, thinking that I could do everything. But it is super comforting to know that there are people like you doing the groundwork and making these impressions on people while I'm making memes and shitposting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but this, Andrew, I, want, I do want to say in 2020, how I was starting to get the word out with LA Parisian shooters on a political level is we had Black Lives Matter protests nationwide in 2020. And in LA, I would go to BLM marches with my, and it was hot summer, right? I would go to BLM marches with my little cart full of water and a sign saying, LA Progressive Shooters, please stay hydrated. Take a free water. Right? That's so cool. That's lit. That's the way to do it, man. Yeah, really. And that's like, you know, putting your money where your mouth is also, because it's one thing to say that you support people, but showing that you support people is important and necessary. Keeping the protesters alive. Yeah, well, it's it's the difference between lip service and actually believing in what you do. Dude, that was such a wacky summer. Pretty it wild. was definitely wacky. <laughs> Jesus Christ 2020 man what a fucking year I can't wait for a Hollywood spin on this right they're gonna start making movies about it oh I know I know <laughs> no doubt so where do you as far as your training goes man because I know we've gotten into a whole bunch of the philosophical stuff but I know you do the basic firearm safety class but is that the extent of what are you really are you trying to be the foundation for people in their first experience with firearms or do you teach other classes as well? No. So as I've grown as an instructor and I believe it's important to be a student for life, right? As an instructor, I'm constantly updating my knowledge. I'm constantly training with other nationally known instructors to keep on upping my game because I want to give clients the best education that's out there. I'm not that ex-law enforcement that's still teaching, you know, Weaver stance from the 80s, right? Because they don't update their knowledge and everybody eats that up because they just automatically assume, oh, he's ex-law enforcement. He must, he must be a better instructor than this civilian guy. But no, I've updated my training so I can provide my students more training. So once they go past Pistol 101, I even help them guide buying their first gun because that's a very individual choice, right? Don't just go, do, ladies, not go buy the pink revolver that the gun store staff recommends you. Right? Don't do that, right? Have an instructor, pick what gun up for you. And then it's like, hey, people take my fundamentals class and they think I'm good. I'm good. That's all I need, right? No, you don't, right? Because in a home defense situation, you're not going to be taking carefully aimed shots and have all the time in the world. You're going to be put under stress and fight or flight. So then we start teaching them defensive fundamentals, which is how do I shoot as fast as I can while still being defensively accurate and not endangering the whole block and my neighbors, right? So that's their next step. Okay. And then now that I'm teaching CCW, well, now you got to learn how to, how to make critical decisions outside, as well as how to draw from a holster without shooting yourself in the leg and shooting on the move and more of that stuff. And now also red dot optics, right? That's the latest innovation. So I got to teach folks how to shoot that red dot efficiently and adequately and why that's such a good solution and more inclusive solution for folks of all visual abilities, right? Whether you're a beginner or whether you're, I'm 53 folks. Pretty soon, I'm not going to be able to see that front sight just like a lot of other <laughs> right? Just being honest. Focus, yeah. yeah, just being honest. And that red dot allows you to shoot, to aim with your eyes the way we have evolved, right? Staring at your target, not these little points in front of your face. More natural, more intuitive, more efficient, okay? So there's a whole spectrum. I'm still evolving as an instructor. How I taught today is different than how I taught a year from now. 
and it'll be different a year from now, right? So I'm constantly evolving. I mean, the word progressive in our name is both political and my teaching philosophy. It should always be progressing. That's excellent, man. Yeah. One thing that I've heard people talk about, especially pages like Yellow Peril Tactical, always talk about how you should continue learning and to vet your instructors. And one of my biggest red flags in vetting an instructor is if they haven't taken a class in the last year. Even, I mean, you can apply that to however is is applicable to you. But for me, a year, because I know how busy people are and what that class was. Because if they're taking basic safety fundamentals once a year, that's not learning. If they've been shooting for the past 50 years and they took the time to go learn how to shoot with a red dot and understand why it's so important and so advantageous over shooting with irons, then that tells me that they're being proactive. And I think that's really cool that you're advancing to that. Yeah, thanks. And the other thing that's important, I think, as an instructor, in vetting them is, you know, like I'm a civilian instructor. I don't teach tactics, right? I stay in my lane. I'm not going to teach things that I have no reason to teach or no place to teach, right? That's stupid. You're um, not T-Rex arms? No. And... <laughs> Yeah, no, not a whole round about that. But you know, even though I shoot rifle, even though I have ARs and I shoot rifle, I don't think I'm ready to offer rifle classes yet. Because I believe it's important as instructor is you got to be able to demonstrate with proficiency what you're teaching, right? Absolutely. Not just top the top, you got to walk the walk. So that's another thing that's very important for me as instructor, and as far as my professionalism and integrity, is to be the best that I can be. I want to teach the things that I have mastered myself, and not until I've done so. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Humility is badass, especially when you're a teacher. And that is something that I think we struggle with as a community. There are, it's just something that I think it happens for a lot of people. Like we were talking about earlier, you get a gun and you feel unstoppable. And I think once people get their instructor certification, the next step for many of them is to figure out what are all the things that I can teach and, you know, how do I start making money? And it's easy to forget that you have people's lives in your hands. And the example that you show is something that they are going to take with them and build on. So if you're only working with the bare minimum of experience, that's you're giving less to them because you're teaching them. And, and I think that's really cool that you are self-aware enough to know what you should be teaching and what you need a little bit more work on before you feel comfortable enough to do so. Right. And here's a second important reason, right, is... If the gun world is already unfriendly to folks like us and our views, right? Like, I know that I'm not going to convince people or there is going to be haters and trolls. And I've told my clients, like, the gun world is already unfriendly to us. The only way to shut up those folks is shoot better than them. Shoot better than them. Let your shooting do talking, right? Then they'll shut up. What, what do you got to say now, right? So that's very important, too. Is I'm going to be the best shooter I can be as a statement that I belong in this gun world, too, right? And there's nobody that can say or do anything different. If I can compete with the best and outshoot folks that are trying to talk trash. Do you shoot competitively? Yes, I started shooting competitively. I actually, I got certified in September 2020. And then seven months later, I took a team of clients to our very first pistol competition, the Glock Sports Shooting Foundation, right? Our very first, so seven months in as an instructor, my first clients, our first pistol competition. We were very proud. We took home first and second place for a top civilian team, okay? Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, That's pretty cool. impressive. Yeah. And so very humbled by that. And last year, I started a USPSA competition. That just elevated my game, elevated what I can show folks, right? USPSA is now even more challenging and more dynamic. So I really believe the best way to challenge your shooting, the best way to progress, get into competition. Because even if you're not interested, just from a home defense, self-defense perspective, 
it simulates mentally so much stress you'd be under, right? It's a good test of your ability to perform on demand under pressure. I'm a, a huge advocate of competition, even though there's so, still this, these naysayers in the gun world, you know, competition, get you killed in the streets. Yeah, come on. That's so much fun. Right? <laughs> competition shooters are the top athletes <laughs> of the gun world. They're the top performers. They found the best, yeah. the most efficient techniques to do things. The innovations in the gun world come from competition because they push the limits. Red dot technology comes straight from the competition world because they're the pioneers in using it, for example. Yeah, for sure. How have you uh, felt that the competitive shooting community is compared to the rest of the gun community? Like, is it pretty much like a direct representation? Is it a little bit more serious? Do you talk politics, like uh, competitions, or would that be a problem for some people, do you think? I think it's pretty much a general representation of the rest of the gun world. And in fact, listen, it comes in the territory. Like all my trainers that I've taken lessons with, they're conservatives, right? But the professional, the most professional trainers, even though they're conservatives, they don't bring politics into their classes and they don't judge you. I've never hid that I'm LA British Shooters and I'll go to these classes and no one says anything, right? And the most generous people on the gun ranges who... As long as you don't talk politics, oh, they're more than happy to give you advice, let them shoot their guns, right? Friendliest folks in the world if politics don't come into play, right? I think that's been a surprising for a lot of folks who are progressive and liberals and they come to the gun world, right? It's not all automatically hostile all the time, right? But yeah, are there folks in the gun competition world that are very ultra-conservative? I've heard some problematic things from them about a certain you know trainer who competes and you know this other competitor from the East Coast, right, LGBTQ+, told me that this high-level shooter and trainer came over and said some really transphobic stuff, like right out blatantly, right, which is really offensive. So, yeah, it's the whole spectrum still in the competition world. In fact, I still consider myself a new competitor. I've only been shooting USPSA a little more than a year, right? But it's like, it's just like golf, right? Isn't it kind of an elitist kind of club of folks? Like, not everyone can afford to shoot competition. So there's people a little bit more means. They're a little bit more addicted to this kind of sport, right? And so it is kind of like this kind of crazy subculture in itself in the gun world, right? So we could probably have a whole podcast on competition one day. Do you two compete or have you competed? It's been a while for me, especially since I had kids. It's been very difficult to even get to the range of a lot of competitions. Yeah. I used to do IDPA. Never got around to USPSA, but I definitely want to. Right. And every local club has their own kind of vibe, depending on the membership. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. And the match director. How- oh, it's a vibe for sure. It's a vibe for <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Is it across the board? Is it blatantly like hostile? I would say it's going to depend on your local match community. Because remember, remember Matthew, who you interviewed, uh, shooting a defensive in Portland? Yeah. He told me he actually got banned from his local competition. I know. Because... Yeah, because they said, no, we don't want Antifa here at this club. Yeah, what a wild <laughs> thing to like, oh man, yeah. base your whole personality on. <laughs> yeah. That's been my experience. You know, the big IDPA club here, God, what is it, Texas Tactical or something? It's been a few years since I've competed, since I've gone to one of their events, but it's very much like you can get in and you can blend in and you're not going to hear a lot of crazy stuff. And if you do you kind of get the feeling it's like you don't want to say anything. Otherwise, like it's like, you know, everyone's going to turn and look at you at the same time and point and open their mouth and make the body snatcher noise. Terrifying. And it's very much like, you know, like you could stand up and be like, hey, you shouldn't say that. And then you don't get to compete in IDPA anymore. So it's, 
it's friction free to the extent that you can kind of like, you know, swallow your pride and just kind of like deal with, with the atmosphere. Right. Which makes me sad because it's like, I can do that. I can go in there and pass. Right. But like, I don't see any trans people showing up to those because I'm pretty sure if anyone ever did, they probably got the third degree in the boot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. This actually, I have a question here that this kind of conveniently segues into. We were talking earlier about using our, us being gun owners as a way to reach people who we disagree with. Do you think that it is, do you think it's possible to reach other gun owners who we disagree with on social issues? And do you even think that we have to do that? Do you think we have a responsibility to fight for our social issues within these, like if we're the only, like in Andrew's case, if he's the only one in that area and his concern is getting better at shooting, is painting a target on his back worth possibly losing his ability to practice effectively? Or is that something that we have the responsibility to do? Yeah, that's such a loaded question. I know it is. I know. And that's <laughs> like, it, it's really easy for me to say, yeah, I, I would absolutely stand up for trans people living in a blue state where like even in conservative gun ranges, there's plenty of other gun ranges where I'm going to find more like-minded people. But in a place like Texas, that might not be the case. Well, I guess maybe I can answer that question with a common complaint that I've got, right? I will post pictures of me with other trainers. And these trainers have, you know, Blue Lives Matter paraphernalia on them. And I'll get hate from people saying, why are you uh, learning from these Blue Lives Matter folks, right? Why are you learning from these cops? ACAB, you know? And I'm like, listen, where am I supposed to take this knowledge? Who has the knowledge? First of all, who owns this knowledge, right? Just in the territory, who has this knowledge? And if I'm trying to help my community and the most vulnerable, marginalized folks, the folks who don't already belong, and like you said, we're cis straight now, if we have the privilege to pass better in these spaces, then isn't our responsibility to kind of take that information any way we can get it? So then other folks who won't be accepted can come straight to us for that knowledge and won't have to endure what we did, right? So does that answer your question? Is that I have to learn to pick my battles because I have to remember what the bigger mission is, right? If I chose every battle, then how am I going to accomplish that bigger mission? Yeah, absolutely. No, and that's something that we've definitely mentioned to people before who are in these less permissive environments that if your goal is to increase your shooting ability and you have the ability to train at a place that can give you that ability, but they don't happen to line up with your political views, it still would behoove you to take that when the alternatives are less professional shooting, like not as much experience or not shooting at all. And as much as it sucks, you know, to be kind of um, stuck with that as an option, I do think as time goes on, we're going to see more options available for people with less antiquated political views. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen other leftist groups, progressive gun communities, and because they either are unable to or don't want to be in those traditional gun spaces where that professional knowledge is, they will take folks out to, you know, BLM now in the middle of nowhere and first time gun owners. And, you know, as a professional, like I purposely put it on my highest priority when I first created this community, I wasn't even instructed yet, right? I just want to create a safe space. And suddenly people are gravitating and suddenly I have 30 people showing up to my range day who I've never met and I'm responsible for them, 
right? So it behooved me to get professional training as a brain safety officer first and then instructor because I wanted to make sure safety number one. I am not going to imperil these people's lives, right? So for me, it was never a question, right? It was not worth it for me to kind of take people in the boonies and just, you know, put people at risk. So when I see other gun groups doing that because they feel like they can't partake in kind of like more, I would say, like structured gun world, they have to realize that they are also responsible for these impressionable new people who look up to them and they don't know any better and they're putting their life, they're basically putting their lives in their hands, right? So I hope that as we go along with this new growing community of progressives and liberals and they themselves are getting trained, better trained, better educated, that we keep on building really truly safe spaces and we're not putting people at risk just because we're, yes, it's important to get this education out, but let's do it the right way. Let's not take unnecessary risk, right? Because it's not a game out there, okay? It's easy to lose sight of that and not be safe and get people hurt too. So I would just say that. Absolutely, man. I tend to agree with you. I'm definitely more than, than we would disagree with, I'm sure. I did want to ask, I know that we kind of slid by it. We're talking about, you know, who, who owns um, minority rights and who owns gun rights. But we kind of run the gamut here. I'm here in Texas. We've got Jordan in Connecticut. You're in L.A. You know, these are very different states with, with very different takes on a variety of issues. And I have been wondering, is it more worthwhile to live among people who are pro-gun but have a dim view on minority rights and try to change them? Or is it more productive or more easy to live in like a blue state and try to change people's views on gun rights there? Oh, definitely the second, right? First of all, and I think that's why a lot of people gravitate to me is because my universe doesn't revolve around guns. Like I'm not a single-issue voter. Guns aren't even like the highest thing on my list of what I think are the social issues we need to address, right? We just is, spun a lot of people's heads right now. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? I mean, if you go to my Instagram, my stories, that's not all about guns. I post about being out in the community, right? Supporting small businesses and marginalized communities and voices that don't get represented because that's where I came from, my background, right? Even before becoming an instructor, I've been covering, you know, LA's diverse underground communities that don't get a whole lot of representation, Right? So I definitely would rather be in a more diverse space of folks who share similar values to me as far as how we should treat each other, right? With equity, with respect, with dignity, right? And then start to change their minds on guns, how that can play a part in their lives if they choose that, right? Any day I would choose that, okay? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's just, it's it's such a weird thing because, you know, we were talking to Dave about this on the previous episode, he said, I hope you stay, he said to me, like, I hope you stay in Texas and, and try to like change things because we are in a sense, we are kind of at a tipping point here where it's, it's either going to go like fully theocratic or there's going to be a major sort of backlash to that. And I definitely like, I don't want to live in a place that's like really like socially repressive, but I also don't want to just be like, I don't want to just pull up my roots and be like, all right, peace out guys. Good luck. Good luck with the fight. I'll see you and <laughs> see you in the next life. You know? So I don't know. Also, I mean, look again, it all comes back to like us being cis straight men. We can tolerate certain things. Right. But when we're talking about repression in some of these states, it's putting people, people's lives are in danger. There's people that LGBTQ folks in Florida, they're leaving. 
Right? Yeah, and, and you can't blame them for that. Yeah, because you know? their lives That's, are literally— Your life is in danger. Your life is literally in danger, right? I mean, I'm not going to judge people who don't want to stick around and fight for their lives because their lives are in danger. They're going to find a safe haven. If they have to leave, they have to leave. I mean, I'm a refugee, folks. We had to flee for our lives. I understand what it's like to, yeah. to yeah. flee for your life, right? <laughs> yeah. I imagine if someone's like, you know, well, no, I was going to say, imagine if somebody was like, oh, you should have stayed at your home and changed it. But people do fucking say that. Well, people do that. And it's always the people <laughs> yeah. that have the least amount of perspective who are saying that, that yeah. are, oh, it's. Right, because they're not affected. They're not affected to that level. Where exactly. Personally. You don't, yeah, you know. You're right. <laughs> man. All right. I know. No. <laughs> get into it. Talk, get into talking it. about people on Instagram who you just need to like block and get rid of and stuff. And I'm a glutton for punishment. So I entertain these folks for at least a little while until they say something transphobic or homophobic, like blatantly. Not that their like entire idea isn't or anything like that. But this person today said something along the lines of it's not other people's fault. It's trans people's fault for the way they're treated because they don't do enough to prevent people's perspective of them wow like it was hinting at that like they don't call out the small percentage of people who conform to the like stereotypes that these conservative homophobic transphobic people like to paint all trans people as it's this oh, kind of yeah. person i've heard this one yeah before. and it's like that kind of person who's like no, there's no increased risk to trans folk in these states like they're just blowing it out of proportion or there's no like legislation that's going to endanger trans people's lives in these states like they're just they need help and things like that that just minimize these issues that are literally costing people their lives and it's yeah it sometimes i have to remind myself that like like you said tom like you only have so many fucks to give and it's not that you don't give a fuck but you have to save some kind of things like you're in the trenches and that's who you need to focus on and that there are certain people that you're not going to change their mind and they're not worth spending time on. And that's like one of those types of people. But I take issue with that statement too. That's really disgusting to me. Right? It's, re- dude, it's like repulsive. Yeah. Listen, we agree. And we should always say this to people. It's like people have a right to exist the way they are with no obligation to explain themselves or defend themselves. They have a right to exist as they are. Okay. We all have the right to that autonomy and a right to exist without judgment. Okay. And if anyone is obligated to stand up and say something, it's everyone else who's being a silent bystander. On Absolutely. Of the That's where the duty yeah, lies. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Absolutely. So I, yeah, that was really offensive to even hear that. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's, it was, <laughs> I was reading it and I was like, I definitely misread this. Like, there's no way this guy is saying this, but it, yeah. And it's something, every day I'm astonished. It's like one, one of those things that like, every day we stray farther from God. It's, well, it's, it's like, just, and, and I, Tom, maybe you understand this too. It's like these inclusive firearms pages kind of, we kind of become lightning rods, right? Where it's like, you know, yeah, you get people in there in the comments that are supportive of the mission, but there's also people that come around just because they want to like start some shit. And it's like, they know that it's like, this is where the trans people are. So this is where I'm going to say anti-trans stuff. Because that was indirect, you know, like you said, you post things that aren't necessarily gun related and I do the same thing. It's my page and I'd centered around advocating for marginalized groups. I'm not only going to post things that are gun-related. The post that we made today was about the two cisgendered people that were murdered over the last couple months for one for being accused of being trans and the other one for sticking up for a trans friend. Just highlighting how transphobia affects us all and like you need to, the only way to feed it is to squash it. 
defeated is to get rid of it. And like, like, you're not safe just because you're cis. And this guy just came out and said that absolute horseshit. And yeah, it's a wild world out there. Stuff like that, it's, it's, you know, kind of makes you have to have to take a step back and reassess, you know, where your priorities are and where they should be and who you really need to focus on. And, you know, I mean, you can't help but be affected, right? I mean, you try to stay above it, but, you know, we're all human. And, you know, I've learned, listen, folks, like I said, I'm, it's not my first rodeo. I've, I've been through it, okay? And I just learned finally to prioritize my own mental health, right? And I don't need to get into every battle. If, right, or, or address every toxic person, some random person that comes along, because I have better things to do with my time and my life and helping other people. I just find it so hard not to. I just, I really struggle. I know, I know it's like I'm sitting there with my son, I'm supposed to be reading to him, but I get this notification and it's some bullshit like somebody coming on there, like, yeah, I'm racist. What about it? And I'm just like, Oh, like, <laughs> like I got to be present, but I also got to comment. I got to say something to him. It might be satisfying, but there's nothing you can say that's going to even make a dent or impression on this person, right? I mean, I'm going to save my efforts and my energy for like actual something positive and meaningful. Like, I'm not here. I should be more positive. Yeah. I should be more positive. I mean, you know, I'm not here to give life advice. You know, I'm not, I'm, def- <laughs> I'm not a father. I'm, oh, you're, I'm- oh, you're going to give some life advice though. <laughs> I'm just a single dude trying to do the best that I can to help other people and avoid as much negativity as I can because I don't, I don't have as much years left as you two. And so I, the older you get, you start to realize that too. You start to like prioritize. You Man, know. you're like 22. Stop playing. <laughs> I <don't laughs> wish. We're being catfished. Yeah. This is fucked up. <laughs> I feel like I'm being gaslit right now. <laughs> You're like a fucking, like uh, a child walks in. He's like, you know, back in my day. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully, you know, the, they always say that the most hateful minority are the most vocal. And optimist, being an optimist, the loudest, toxic, hateful folks are the minority, right? I like to think that the majority of people are better than that. And maybe because they're more silent, we don't hear often enough from those folks. But by being an example, we can encourage those folks to be more vocal too, okay? Instead of just standing on the sidelines. Yeah, agreed. I think that maybe that's part of why, besides being just sort of neurotically driven to fight on the internet, I think that that's part of why I do comment on these or, you know, clap back at these comments because, you know, I know I'm not going to change this person's mind, but hopefully somebody else sees that and is like, okay, there's people out here in the wings that, you know, support people like me. Hopefully that helps and isn't intimidating and weird and off-putting. No, keep doing that good fight, Andrew. Keep doing that good fight. Like I said, we are each doing something, our part in the way that we can, right? And that's all we can do. I was born to shitpost. <laughs> it's in my blood. Somebody called, uh, somebody called us the page, a better way to a trans the company, the company, a better way to a, they said, why are you engaging with them? A better way to a is just trans shit posters. Yeah. So, okay. So for context, this is the post about the two cis people that were murdered over trans hysteria, right? You know, transphobic people murdered two cis people trying to hurt the trans community. And it's a very serious post. It's a very serious post. And it's a macabre situation. Some would say the opposite really of a sad. shit post. Yeah. And this guy's like, these guys are trans shit posters. All they do is shit post trans stuff. I'm like, 
bro, what, like, what the fuck? It was, it was pretty funny. I had a good chuckle at it. Do you find that the more popular following you get, you're going to get more of that, though, just because you're getting more attention and scrutiny? Yeah, I do. It's weird because I don't, I definitely know we're more popular than we were last year, but it's a slow roll, you know, and it's, it comes in waves. I've noticed when certain pages share our stuff. I'll get yeah, like a couple that's hundred. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, is, I'll get a couple hundred followers. You'll get, you'll get brigaded sometimes. Yeah, but it works both ways because we've had a couple guests on the show that have pretty large followings who, when they share their stuff, like our episode with Emily, I always know when she shares one of my posts because I get a whole bunch of moms following me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like her page is big into like, natural birth and pregnancy and things like that. So I just know when she shares something that I shared because I'll get like 30 new moms like that are that pictures of them and their kids in their in their profile picture. Which if you're a crunchy mom and you're listening to this, we love you. We see you. We love Absolutely. you. Absolutely. I'm about it. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely more hate now that it's, you know, we're almost at 10,000 followers than there was back, you know, when we were much smaller. But uh, I will also say that I think our audience has been honed. I love posting these like non-firearms related important posts like this particular one about the trans community because I'll see my follows fluctuate. I'll see like 40 drop off or like 20 or 30 drop off and then I'll see it slowly climb back up again. And it just tells me that the people who are following either didn't know what the page was about or aren't about it. And that's fine because... I think it's kind of filtering out, you know, the ones who don't appreciate what we're trying to do and it's building relationships with those who do. So I think with all the hate that we get, it just means we're going in the right direction and it is overwhelmingly outnumbered by the amount of love we get. How about you, man? Same. I would say same. Same exact thing, right? I'm glad to hear it. Like I said, I'm not here to speak to everyone. I'm not here for everyone. Andrew, you noticed that I put progressive in the name when I first started it, right? I purposely put progressive because I've already automatically turned off 80% of the gun world. <laughs> so yeah, it's a beacon. It's a it's, filter. It's a filter. I'm already filtering. Right? I know who I'm here to serve. That's who I'm here to speak to. I'm not trying I'm not here to please everyone, right? So I'm just here to help the folks that have nowhere else to go, right? Who are just looking for a place where they can be themselves and feel welcome, not pretend to have to be someone else. I love it. Truly, truly. I am... Uh... We're happy you're here, man, doing what you're doing. Thank you. I'm happy uh, you two are doing what you're doing. Keep up that shit posting, Andrew. <laughs> I've been slowly trying uh, to... Rec- the trans shit posting, you Yes, mean? trans shit posting. I've been slowly trying to recruit Andrew to come on, work on the page with me, but he has two adorable children. I definitely want I know, to. I know. It's not a desire not, thing. I don't take offense to it. to it. He's just got a busier <laughs> life. Almost twice as busy as my life with one kid. Bro, my God, my kids are so cute. They're so cute, though. They're adorable. It's been such a weird week, month. My sister just gave birth to a beautiful baby girl, and she lives down the street. So we're trying to support her. Also continue raising these kids who continue to become more active and more chaotic. (laughs) It's just, you know, sometimes it feels like everything's just like barely holding together. (laughs) Every once in a while, you just got to cry a little bit. Uh, yeah, every, yeah, every once in a while. Just, just have rarely, a good though. cry. Go outside <laughs> with the chickens and have a good cry. Yeah. <laughs> but it's okay. It's great. It's great. It's great. You should, you should have more kids. Tom, I know you said you didn't want to give life advice, but we have a tradition on this show, and it includes 
You're not the only person who hasn't listened to a single one of our episodes, by the way. So don't feel bad about that. We've had, was Matt? Did Matt come on from shooting and say that he's never listened? Somebody was surprised. We've had a couple people surprised it would, by this. It wouldn't, but it's fine. It wouldn't surprise me. We don't expect everybody like to. Most people. Yeah, most people don't stay to the end. There's a lot of stuff to do in a, every day. You got a busy life. If you're listening, if you, if you're listening to this and you've listened to every episode of this podcast, like, I am absolutely floored that you feel like we have earned enough of, of your time to do that because that's a lot of hours. Especially because it's only gotten better with time. And if you were here for the beginning, uh, yeah. no yeah. fault of our guests, but if you were here in the beginning, we were we were very rough around the edges. Yeah, it was a it was a bit of a anyways, anyway. Anyway, anyway, yeah, yeah. Tom. We have a tradition. We have a tradition. <laughs> <laughs> if you had one piece of advice to give to our listeners, and it could be firearm related, it could be Life, make your life easier, some hack. Just something that everyone's sleeping on that you are just dying to let everyone know. What would that be? Learn to dance. Learn to dance? Learn to dance. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. You know, I, I people are surprised after taking my lessons or they like, watch my, follow my IG for a while. They, they're surprised to learn that I'm an introvert by nature, right? I am absolutely a shy person. I actually had anxiety before getting on this call. I don't like to speak and be put on the spot. But I had a second chance to go back to college in my 30s, okay? And by accident, I took a salsa dance class, right? By accident. it was By accident? Yeah. Because I didn't know what the class was. I was walking by, oh, you know, cool. they, you, could, you could try any class the first week, right? Without paying. I'm walking through the student center, looking at all these classes. And in the window, I saw like 30 women and five guys. And I'm like, you know, I don't care what it is, but the odds seem in my favor. <laughs> <laughs> And it was a dance class. It was a salsa dance class. And you know what, folks? Just learning how to dance gave me so much confidence, especially as a shy guy, right? Learning to move my body without feeling inhibition, right? You know that phrase, like, dance like no one's watching? Like, I really took that to heart. And it's been so empowering and freeing of me. And so now whenever I go to, when I started going to concerts and live music events, I would always be the first person on the dance floor to dance in front of all these other people just staring and watching to force myself to get myself out of my comfort zone, to always remind myself, I need to be always pushing myself outside my comfort zone, right? And so learning to dance has done that for me, right? It's, it's given me that confidence boost, right? To just learn to be myself and not care what people think, right? So that's my advice. That's, it's helped me. I've talked to other guys who are shy, who, don't want, who maybe want to talk to a woman or don't know what to say. I said, you don't have to say anything. Just, just dance, right? Just a man dancing shows much, so much confidence to the opposite sex, or to the same sex, whichever orientation and gender you are, it's liberating. It's liberating. So try it. I love it, man. As somebody who cannot dance and took a lot of uh, encouragement from my wife to finally get out on the dance floor without like nagging. What, like yesterday? Was that just the other day? Oh, uh, no, that video is only, that it's video like, is that not going to time. anyone else. That was, uh, <laughs> I was at a wedding and uh, unbeknownst to me was being recorded dancing on the dance floor. <laughs> I'm not ashamed of what good. I looked like, but it was very, it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So there you <laughs> go. Awesome. I'm glad to see for when you two meet later at the wedding and maybe oh, take that dance. Door. Andrew, we <laughs> should take you private lessons, like surprise our wives <laughs> at the wedding. Surprise! But just well, dance surpri- with okay. each other. So the biggest, the biggest, <laughs> the biggest surprise is going to be that neither one of us has prioritized dancing with our wife 
and that, but that we did private lessons for each other. <laughs> 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 gonna be like, <laughs> when when were you gonna spend that that amount of energy on me? Bromances reached no bounds. Yes, absolutely. That's true. I hope that was a good way to end things. Yeah, I like it, man. That was great. I really appreciate you coming on, man. We I had a lot of fun talking to you, and I'm super excited to see where you go with this. I love to see where how far you've gone so far. You know, I think we got into this around the same time, and just watching you blow up and and do everything that you're doing is is really inspiring. And I think, like Andrew was saying, you know, living in a liberal state teaching guns or living in a conservative state and trying to fix the social issues is super important. And I think it gives me hope that you have such a good following living where you do for the firearms that, you know, I think it's only a matter of time before the script is flipped and we've got the same amount of people looking for that social change in these red states that we're hoping for. If it's possible where you are, I think it's possible anywhere and for anything. So kudos to you for making it work. And thanks again, dude. Yeah. Thank you, Jordan and Andrew. It's been an absolute pleasure and privilege to be able to talk to you tonight. Oh, 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 oh,